Good morning. Uh, we want to welcome you. My name's David. I'm one of the pastors here, and thank you for joining with us. For those uh, who are watching us online, we are glad to have you with us as well. <clears throat> as we as we get started, um, uh, several folks have been asking me: Is there a way that we can give to something that would help with the Ukrainian situation, the the war over there? And so I want to let you know, uh, for, for, um, pretty much any disaster and any happening, uh, UMCOR, which is United Methodist, uh, Committee on Relief, UMCOR, U-M-C-O-R, uh, domestically and internationally are, are always first on the scene and, uh, do really good work. Uh, and they have, they are right now working with refugees that are coming across uh, the borders and, and addressing that need. If you'd like to help with that, uh, you can write a check to the church just in the memo line, put UMCOR Ukraine, uh, and we will direct that there. The good thing about giving to that agency, <clears throat> your gift goes 100% to the, the thing you're giving it toward because all the administrative costs associated with UMCOR are paid by the apportionments that the, the local churches pay. So your gift goes 100% uh, toward uh, the need that you are trying to address. And so just want to share that with you. And then uh, along that idea, um, we are doing this book called The Jesus Shaped Life. That's, that's done by a group of um, folks that are seeking. It, it's a group it started in the seminary I went to. It's grown beyond that. Uh, but it's a group uh, seeking uh, an awakening within the world. And uh, they send out, um, we are doing this study along with uh, churches all over the United States. And uh, they're, they're, they sent out, uh, and, and the world actually, and they sent out a prayer this morning about Afghanistan, uh, Ukraine, third service, sorry. Ukraine. And so I just, I, I thought we would, um, pray this together. We will be joining with other, uh, churches and, uh, gatherings in praying for this about your Ukraine uh, situation. Monica will attach this prayer to our email that has the service recordings on it today if you want it for later. Um, but if you'll bow with me, let's, let's pray together. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you today in a continual declaration of peace in the name of Jesus over the war taking place in Eastern Europe. We boldly ask you to establish and strengthen the bond of peace across the body of Christ in Russia and Ukraine, to draw near to all the followers of Jesus scattered across these nations, and to bind them together in supernatural love that moves with the power of the gospel. May the church Jesus is building rise up as the light of the world, like cities on a thousand hills, and awaken the dawn in this dark land. Let your kingdom break forth in demonstrations of peace, in ways that confound the ways of sin, darkness, death, and evil. We pray for you to intervene in the hearts and the minds of the leaders of Russia to turn from their invasion and to seek peace. We pray you would strengthen the invading soldiers with the resolve of human decency and compassion and a miraculous empowerment to lay down their arms in the face of such egregious destruction and loss of innocent life. 
We pray for the leaders of Ukraine to protect and preserve them from harm and to fill them with such a spirit of travail and prayer that it touches heaven and changes the course of life on earth for their country. We pray for the leaders of governments around the world for wisdom and courage for the facing of this hour. We rebuke the spirit of fear that would cower in the face of evil rather than confront it. We cry out for an awakening of the church around the world to realize both our responsibility and our power to intervene and exercise our kingdom authority for such a time as this. We pray for the many relief agencies at work on behalf of the Ukrainian people. We speak Jesus into them now in the power of your spirit, courage, perseverance, love, and joy in the face of utter desolation. We put upon them the full armor of God so that they may stand. And we pray you will fill their hearts and hands with miracles. Multiply relief in their hands as fishes and loaves that can feed multitudes. Fill their words with power to still storms in Jesus' name. Release miracles through doctors and nurses as they rescue the perishing and care for the dying. We pray you would leave in the wake of this evil human-made disaster and all its desolation in the sea, desolations, the seeds of a great awakening and the raising up of a generation who would rebuild the ruins and who would be called the repairer of broken walls and the restorer of streets to dwell in. Awaken your church now in all places to imagine and conceive this great awakening now in the place of prayer on earth as it is in heaven. And finally and most urgently, we pray for the millions of children who are crying and afraid, many of whom may be lost and alone, wondering if they will ever see their families again longing for the safety of their homes, anxious about their next meal, afraid for their very survival. We pray for the salvation of their fathers and the holy uprising of their mothers. Holy Spirit, send wave upon wave of compassion in the midst of trauma, light and darkness, and the peace that only love can bring in the midst of utter madness. We agree with the psalmist. For the ages we cry out, let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. Let those also who hate him flee before him. We ask these things, declaring the things that are not yet as though they were already happening. Believing in your power to do beyond all that we can ask or even imagine through your power at work within us and trusting in the strong name of Jesus Christ, in whom, in, in whose name we pray. Amen. I thought that was a good way to open the service today because our topic today is the justice of Jesus. Justice is that, that term that refers to making things right. That there's an imbalance in the world. That, that sin and evil and, and human corruptness have, have tilted the playing field to a way that is not fair. It, it, it's tilted in so many ways. It's around economics. It's around place of birth. 
It's around skin color. It's around privilege and ability to, to get things essential for life. It mistreats those who by no fault of their own happen to be born in a place that didn't have the many blessings we have here. It's a people who, not because they chose it, but because they were created in a way that makes others uncomfortable, that misaligns them and pushes them away and won't give them the same treatment and human dignity afforded others. Justice is an essential quality of God. If God is holy, His holiness, His perfectness, that that all-encompassing picture of who He is, justice is an essential part of who He is. There has to be a fairness. There has to be a rightness to who He is. And if we are going to be a people who are shaped in the, by His Son, Jesus Christ, then justice has to become an essential part of our life as well. Too many times uh, we have allowed the, the outcry of don't let politics in the church and don't tell me how to think and how to believe. And so we avoid conversations over things like racism and, and bigotry and things like that. These essential ways that we eat away at the fabric of human beings and we eat away at their worth and we rationalize and pat ourselves on the back. And really all we're happy about is that it doesn't involve us. And into that mix, a mix that this is not the, the, it's not our culture that is uh, unjust. It's human beings are unjust. As God created, you go back to Genesis, everything he created was good. It was perfect. It was sin that corrupted it. It was sin that made God pull away because holiness cannot dwell in the place of darkness and sin. But in His pulling away, He didn't abandon us. He began His plan that would reunite us with Him, that would give us the opportunity to overcome the imbalance, to overcome the situa- the, the, the injustice and be made right again in His image, that He's moving us in a direction of perfection once again to restore everything to His original intents. Several thousand years ago, a couple thousand years ago, in a manger in Bethlehem. I know it's Easter, not Christmas, but it's okay to talk about a Christmas story even in Easter. In a manger in Bethlehem, in a very quiet way, the King of Kings, Prince of Peace, a child was born. And that child initiated a new way of thinking, a new government, a new kingdom. As you read in the Gospel of Matthew over and over, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Against the the backdrop of human greed and and human corruption and the kingdom of man, which pushes down and and rewards the rich and and pushes down the poor and and a playing field that's never going to be equal. Jesus showed up on the scene to say that's not the way God wanted it. It was such a radical message, they killed him because of it. 
but he began a revolution which we are called to continue. He began a new kingdom, a new calling, a new direction in which we who are called by his name are to join in. It's an essential part of who we are to be. We need to adopt a a hunger and thirst for justice, for things to be right, for things to be the way God intended. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. It's it's the uh, five chapter 5, 6, 7, largest collection of Jesus' teaching uh, in the Gospels. I, th- I think the Sermon on the Mount serves as the value statement of what the kingdom of heaven is about. In the, in the kingdom of man, it's uh, the bigger you are, the more you get. The more influence and power you have, the more power and influence you'll get. The littler you are, the, the, the more marginalized you are, the more mar- marginalized you're going to continue to be. It's why in the Old Testament, the prophets would always uh, remind the people, don't forget the orphans and the widows. They were two categories, a symbol of what we tend to do as human beings that those who are removed from power and removed from influence, who have lost a voice, that we as God's people cannot ignore them the way the rest of the world does. But we, if anyone, should be attuned to even the weakest of those. It's the thing that Jesus did over and over in his ministry as he walked through a town and as he did ministry with people of all of all backgrounds. He saw the ones everyone else looked past. He reached out to the ones everyone else avoided. The justice of Jesus. And and in this Sermon on the Mount, we're going to read what they call the Beatitudes today. I think it's the value statement of the kingdom of heaven. I think what he's saying is if you want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, this is the attitude that you will have. These are the characteristics of the people who follow me, of my heart. If if you want to become like me, if you want to walk in my way, if you want to be shaped in my image, this is how you will think and act. Matthew 5, beginning verse 1. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Thanks be to God. So attitudes that the kingdom of heaven holds, the value system of the kingdom turns the kingdom of man upside down. 
Value system of mankind, the bigger you are, the more you get. The value system of the kingdom, the weak shall inherit the earth. You must be a slave and a servant if you want to be the greatest. You must be last if you want to be first. It, the, the value statements of the, of the kingdom are completely contrary to our human way of thinking. And Jesus in establishing this kingdom and now inviting us as participants in it and hands and feet to continue the work he began wants us to understand the kind of attitude, the kind of heart that we need to have. And it goes against our natural way of doing things. He starts with, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. A lot of your versions are going to say, God blesses the poor in spirit. It's those who recognize that without God, I'm nothing. We live in a culture that's all about self-esteem, right? We've created a cult of self-esteem. And if you're on social media and in your 20s and 30s, you've got to build your own brand and stuff. And it's all about feeling good about yourself and building this self-image and stuff. The problem with that is you're building on a sand foundation when you're building on your own strength and weakness. The Christian way of looking at it, the godly way of looking at it, self-esteem is important, but your self-esteem is tied to something that's unchanging, and that's the power of God. My self-esteem is based on the fact that I am created by a magnificent being who made no mistakes. I am created exactly the way he wants (coughs) wants me to be. He loves me beyond what I can imagine, and I have value and worth because of that. But apart from Him, I have nothing. My value is in Him. My own spirit, my own self-esteem, my own understanding, my own personality, my own way of thinking, I'm poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They will know God. This, This idea that we need to remind ourselves that with that God is who we want to be in relationship. The ways of the world, uh, they may bring temporary um, adulation and riches, but it's not, it's not going to last. Be poor in spirit. Understand that without God, we're, we're nothing. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We live in a world where we don't like to think about negative things. And uh, even with the Ukrainian war, it's, it's funny. We, it's been in our news for a while, and it's starting to move out of the news cycle. You're having to stay in the news, uh, in the news report a little longer each day to hear the news about it because we as Americans don't have any patience for long-term problems. It's why over the last couple of years, so many of us got COVID fatigue because we didn't want to hear about COVID anymore because it was always in the news and always in the news and always in the news. And we don't we, we just want to close our eyes and put our heads in and, and, and hope it doesn't affect us and go about our way. But what Jesus is saying is, blessed are those who mourn. Here's another way of saying it. Blessed are those whose heart breaks the way God's heart breaks. Blessed are those who instead of just being glad tragedy hasn't struck them, have the eyes of God that see suffering in the world around them and know things just aren't right the way they are. We can't live in this ambivalence and this apathy 
that only, only when it crosses into our family and only when it affects us, then we're concerned about it. As the people who follow Jesus Christ, we need to have the eyes and heart of Jesus Christ that is open to the world around us, that recognizes the world around us, whose heart breaks when they're suffering. When we see people mistreated, when we see the scales improperly balanced, when we see people being taken advantage of, that we mourn. That we don't just go about our way, but we we recognize it. We identify with it. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. Humbleness, this lowering of yourself in respect to others. In the Christian lifestyle, we've been talking about this. We humble ourselves under under God. He is He is Lord. We're servant. Jesus is the perfect and, and the best example of humbleness. It's not equal to weakness. It's actually great strength. But Jesus never claimed, never fought with God over who was going to be in control. He was always submissive to the Spirit. He always humbled himself to do what God asked him to do. That's why we are to do as well. That's what happens in the exchange of our salvation. We die to ourselves. We die to our way of thinking. We die to our crooked ways and renew ourselves in the image of God. The old is gone. The new has come. I, I am a new creation, and as that new creation, I want to be more like Jesus. And to be more like Jesus, those of you doing the study, go back to week one, you obey God because He's King. Obedience to the Master. Blessed are those who are humble. We think of humble as a weak word. I I, I like this saying, humbleness is not thinking less about yourself, right? Like humbleness, like, oh, don't say thank you, I didn't do it. That's not humbleness, that's fake humbleness. Humbleness is not thinking less of yourselves. Humbleness is thinking about yourself less. That you begin to look at others more importantly than you. That the, the mission of Christ which is where we're going next week, the mission of Christ to change the world, to renew a broken world with a holy God, I'm willing to humble myself in order that others might come to know Him. Verse 6, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. I, I, I don't agree with the notion that politics don't belong in church. I don't believe that conversations about racism and, and all the other isms in our society shouldn't be held in church. This is exactly where we should be holding those conversations. Because we, this is where the people of God come together to agree on who He is and what He's calling us to so that as we go into the world, His light begins to shine in us. And as you go out in this world and see what's out there, it's not hard to recognize things are not the way they should be. Things are not right. And instead of just having the, the idea, you know what? Justice would be good. You know, yeah, you know, you know, I, it, it would be good if people had a better. 
God wants us to do more than just agree with the notion that justice is good. He wants, it's the words he used here, hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst don't go away just by thinking about them. Hunger and thirst demands demands for you to do something. Your hunger and thirst is not going to go away until you satisfy that need. And, And Jesus is saying, that's what I want my people to be like, that they are so in tune to justice and fairness and 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 love in this world that they are not going to rest until they see something change. You might call it a, a, a I, I can't remember where I was going. It, it, it's it's this holy dissatisfaction where I I can't sit by and watch. I can't ignore. And folks, you don't have to you don't have to go over to Eastern Europe to address need. There's need right here in Kirk County. There 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 is injustice right here in Kirk County. Child abuse. Living situations. Economic breakdown. Sex trafficking. All, all it's all around us. And instead of just saying, I'm glad it's not me. And me and my golf group, we don't have any of that. I'm good. That we have a hunger and thirst that won't go away until we become a part of the solution. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Several times as I've been in this church, I've been accused of relying too much on grace and it was a, it was a, supposed to be an insult but i don't think it is i'll i'll own that i i get i'm making a t-shirt about it i i i go with the uh, james in the book of james if you're going to make a mistake make a mistake on the side of mercy rather than uh, rather than self-righteousness I mean, the heart of God, as God's people, as we're seeking justice, of, of giving people the benefit of the doubt. And part of how we skirt around justice issues is we have this rationalization in our head that says, well, if they worked harder, or they tried harder, if they did this or didn't do that or did this or that. And, and so we create this scenario where we put it on them and we expect some, them to do something for themselves that we can't even do for ourselves, when instead we should approach them with mercy and kindness and acceptance from the beginning, that they're no different than me and I have my problems and they have theirs. And we both need God desperately. And so I'm going to treat you as an equal instead of a subservient just because you have a different problem than I do. God blesses those who show mercy. It goes on, for those whose hearts are pure, for those who work for peace, for those who are persecuted for Him. When people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things about you, because you're my followers, be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. If you, if you become someone who works for the justice of Jesus, you're not going to fit in the world. This is why we talked about courage last week. Being a follower of Christ takes a backbone. 
because you can't just go with the flow of society and go with the flow of politics and go with the flow of life. We are called to be countercultural. We are, we are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And we are called to a higher standard. So we have to swim upstream. And when you swim upstream, you're going to bump into some people and they're going to be rude. And he says, that's a blessing. That's a blessing. Because a great reward awaits you. So part of our part of why we lack courage and part of why we don't do the hard thing is because we put so much into the little thing we call life here and we, we that's where all of our beans are we just put everything in there and we just we don't want to ruin it we just want it to be good and you know it says in the bible don't worry be happy It doesn't say that How could a good God want me to have a hard life? Well, it's because this life is not what He's pushing you for. This life is but a dot in where we're going. There is eternity beyond this that where that is where things are made right. We're pointed to it in, in Revelation. In Revelation 21, you get the picture. At some point, everything will be made. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be no more crying, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears. We will look at God and He will look upon us. That's where we're heading. But on the journey there, things are going to get a little rough. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. But even when they get rough, don't give up hope. Romans 8, beginning in verse 18. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. For all of creation is eagerly waiting for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as His adopted children, including the new bodies He has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And in the midst of that wait, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance and He chose them to become like His Son so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. The word of God for the people of God. 
Thanks be to God. What Paul is saying is, yeah, this world is hard. And if you're going to be on the Jesus side of things, if you're going to try to do things in a holy way, if you're going to fight for justice and fight for mercy and swim upstream, it's hard. And take away, and, and the world is broken. It's not just human beings that's broken, but human beings, the fall affected not just humans, but the whole, all of creation. And all of creation is just waiting and groaning, waiting for God to do something, waiting and groaning, forest fires, pandemics, war. It's groaning and groaning. Go, please, Savior, come. Messiah, come. Lord Jesus, come. We are moaning and groaning. Jesus, when are you going to show up? Jesus, when is it going to be made right? And Paul says, don't give up because he's working. And when you get to the end of your rope, hang on because the Holy Spirit's going to do the work for you. And in your suffering, because you're doing what's right, because you're trying to follow Jesus, in your suffering, God can take even the bad and work it together for good. And at some point, we're all going to receive our full adoption papers from the Father in heaven. We're going to be full citizens of the kingdom of heaven and receive all the glories that go with that. Not only will we be with him, but he will share with us his glory. Whatever suffering you go through now is nothing compared to where we're going. I would rather have some people upset with me because I stood up for the little person. For the next 50 years, if I live that long, it's probably not with my diet. But if I suffer every day because of that, it's going to be made up when we get there. When we've been there 10,000 years, right shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. See, God's God's plans are bigger than this little thing. But in this little thing, you have the privilege and honor to join with Him, to make things right, to balance the scales. But in order to do that, we have to take off our blinders. We have to get away from our excuses and our rationalizations. We have to be willing to look at the world the way Jesus looks at the world, have our heart broken the way it breaks God's heart, And then we got to be willing to love the way God loves. That's what the justice of Jesus Christ is about. And the justice of Jesus Christ, just just a quick little reminder, you didn't deserve it either. You didn't deserve it either. We're going to celebrate Holy Communion, and as you do that, we're going to use those little uh, personal communion kits you have just to remind you that... uh, if you're not a member of this church, you are welcome to participate with us fully. Uh, this is open to anyone of all age. It doesn't matter age or background. If you have a desire to love God and live at peace with your neighbor, then please uh, participate fully with us. This is an invitation by Christ, not this local church. That night before Jesus was treated so unjustly, the night when Evil seemed to have its day. The night when injustice was going to crucify justice so that justice might reign in the world and be raised again. As he was gathered with his friends around the table, he took bread and gave thanks, broke the bread, passed around the table and said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you 
Whenever you eat of it, remember me. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he passed around the table and said, drink from this, all of you. This is new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, remember me. Would you pray with me? Come Holy Spirit. We have gathered here out of love for you, out of the desire to have you shape our lives. But God, in doing so, we, we begin by admitting we have not sought justice in the world around us. We have allowed the attitudes and prevailing culture to establish what we think and what we put up with instead of your word and your holiness. Forgive us for our fear. Forgive us for our self-involvement. Forgive us for forgetting that we desperately need you. And God, as we partake in this sacrament, would you take this bread and this juice and make it be for us your body and blood so that we can be partners in ministry with you to share your love and grace and mercy and kindness and justice in the world around us. We want to be one with each other, one with Christ, and one in ministry to all the world. We'll let justice roll down like a river. Flood our souls, flood our church, flood this community, flood this world. And by faith, these little symbols of who you are, God, allow that to become a reality of who we are. We pray that in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the one who taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.